What's going on with your nose? Is it? What do you mean? Are you, you, it's only a bit snotty. I've been sniffly for about three weeks. Everything's back on the cocaine. Right. I mean, everything's in, everyone's re everyone's re naming me or going back to calling me Cookie Joe again. I never was on coke. Right. But I used to be quite sniffly around the summertime because of hay fever. Sure, sure. Sure. It's just it's just a protracted cold, okay? Not story checks out. Stop doing it's a, that. <laughs> it's a, We're recording this. I'm going to apologise to the listeners at some well, point. Yeah, but I, nobody wants to hear that. You sound like a mad horse. It's a protracted cold, okay? <clears throat> okay. Well, I thought it was allergies. I wasn't sure whether it was a cold or allergies. Turns out I think it's more likely a kind of protracted cold. I, I think I'm 43 and I don't eat enough vitamin C. I think we better start. Let Let's get on with Can it. We just start. Okay. And the music is. Do, do no, we're we're obviously going to keep that in yeah. because obviously you need to explain to your audience why you sound like a mad horse in the night. I'm not a mad horse. I'm a, a nightmare. I'm a, a literal very, nightmare. I'm a very sane, sniffly human. Well, you say you're human. And I was called Cookie Joe because people mistakenly thought my sniffles were all about a massive cocaine addiction when in fact I just have a very sniffly nose. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be fun. Um, I actually have a bit of a, a nasal sniff. That's why I blew my nose before we came on because I've, I've been listening back to the other ones. Yeah. And all I can hear is it, there's a terrible moment every time I say something that I think's funny. Yeah. I do this little noise in my nostril. I thought you always like, go get in. No, I do that. On. I do yeah. that as well. That's an embarrassing thing to yeah. do. Imagine that, doing that. Yeah. That's less nasal. You can't blow your nose for that one. Oh, no. That doesn't that, going to solve that one. No, but every time it's just like I'll do a joke. There'll yeah. be a, a second of yeah. excruciating dead air. And then you just get this little noise coming from my nose it's like, it's, it's before like, it's like you blart in again. It's like your body's bringing itself to bear to fill the dead air. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 exactly. Got to do something. It's like you, ellipses dots. You're just lucky it's coming out your nose. Um, okay, welcome to... <clears throat> Excuse me, now I'm choking to death. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, welcome to Stalemates. John Patrick Higgins, this is Joseph Nawaz. Coming in your ears. Hello, everyone. Good evening, or good uh, afternoon, or indeed good morning. There. Depending hello. on the time of day you prefer to listen to Stillmates. Whatever time it is. I hope you're in the bath right now. Listen mm. to our voices. Don't actually forget that image. That's hideous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Don't be in a bath. Also, there's some terrible statistics about electronic devices and baths, and I wouldn't want anything to happen to you. Also, you are puckering and wrinkling horribly. Get out of there, or at least put the hot tap on. With Leave that foot. to us. Maybe I'll have a, a, a Bididas bath. Yeah. Some sort of the Radox. Thing. In fact, one of the alternative names for this podcast was Pucker and Wrinkle, but uh, we didn't think anyone would. Guess which it. one's Pucker. Guess which one's Wrinkle. Yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. Writes itself. Okay, um, we're doing another podcast. This is it. You're listening to it, hopefully. And today we're doing a podcast on the old school. Dun, 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 dun. Old school, Joe. What does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked me that, John. Thank um, you very much. As we were discussing in the in, in the pre-podcast, uh, you know, uh, preamble, uh, I guess for us it means a, t- a period of time in our lives where um, everything at the time we imagine was rosy, but looking back, we think, God, that's such a long time ago. Mm. You know, it's not necessarily referring to. I think old school. It doesn't necessarily have a positive or a negative uh, quality to it. I think it's just something that happened back in the day. I think the phrase "back in the day." Which the older I get, I tend to I tend to be using more. I don't know about you. Do you use back in the day more? Uh, like, well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So back in the day is like uh, there's more days in the back of Morrissey. I guess before he went solo, uh, uh, the Tube, not the train service, but the TV program, or the, or the person sitting next to me, or the person sitting next to you. Very yeah. good. I'm with stupid. I'm not wearing the t-shirt tonight. Looking, this isn't a video cast. We don't deal in those kind of mediums. Yeah, I guess podcasts are kind of old school in a sense that there is no. The only technology is a simple recorder and two human voices. Mm. Unless it's one of those fancy American ones they have now where they've got studio complexes and everybody sounds amazing. We, 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 we don't deal with that kind of... No, apparently we don't, no. We are authentically old school. You get live pouring noises when yeah. we do it. I think old school is, is also like a, a medium... It's like an industry where people trade on nostalgia. It could be like old school discos held in local uh, discos like the Limelights. It could be uh, people recycling fashions from the 80s that's mm. old school you know oh he's that's so old school I'm thinking specifically of daily boppers and leg warmers mm. I don't know why I'm always thinking about those though the big kids from fame fetish what does old school mean for you John well 
that that sounds like a really nice thought about old school. Yeah, for I guess me, it... for me, old school is more insidious and and and, and oppressive than that. Because mm. it, I, I think of old school. A, I think of baby boomers who just won't die. Yeah, just go and take your oppressive culture with you. Come on, because let's face <laughs> it. We're sort of we're sort of Generation X still. Yeah, yeah. we're in our forties. I'm Generation Vexed we're right like, now, frankly. We're like Prince Charles. Well, hang on, hang you on. Know, waiting, waiting for the graying horribly, patiently waiting yeah, for the throne, waiting for them to get off the throne. Let us get on with our lives. It's not a dance that every generation does, though. It's not. We, we always wait for the older. I can't believe that we're talking about an older generation. <laughs> At our age, That's, yeah. can you imagine? But old school, uh, uh, old school back in the day was a gentleman of the old school. It was, it was it was a term of kind of compliment. It was like this man has manners, this man has form, this this, yeah, this man has a sense of style. That's a long time. That's ago. That's a long time ago. Old school now. I think the ch has been replaced with a k, a harsher Germanic k. Yeah. It, it, it's more about uh, baseball caps twisted at kind of jaunty angles and weird finger gestures, which in themselves are quite old school these days. Mm. No, if you think I'm missing the point of old school, if you can see uh, a Tory minister uh, wearing his baseball cap backwards while he's rolling with his homies through the home counties, um, then then that's that's pretty. What's the Tory minister's called? The homies. It's their homies. Mm. But uh, the problem is, William Hague wore his baseball cap forwards. Oh, did he? Thereby giving away his uh, sexuality inadvertently when he was Tory. Remember, he had a baseball cap. With the, the legend boy emblazoned upon it on a roller coaster. Right. Very famous or infamous. Was he picture. wearing a hanky in his back pocket at the same time? Uh, no, but he had um, Pippi Younger's autobiography in his right uh, tweed blazer pocket. Dead giveaway. Dead giveaway. giveaway. Pippi Younger and a boy cap. Come on. Previously worn by Chris Lowe. Not Pippi Older. Pippi Younger. Let me ask you a question. He's a chicken merchant. He's a chicken merchant. And that's not a euphemism, even. No, he actually is a, is a, a great uh, farmyard to table strategy. <laughs> <laughs> As they're called these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are the Pet Shop Boys old school? Well, they're old. Of course they are. Everything's I, old. I was telling everything, a work colleague. Everything we like is old school. That's the problem. That's exactly the problem. I don't think we know what old school is because we are in the midst of old school. You no, well, it's obvious. We're old school. Yeah. But, yeah. We're, but we aren't old school like, for example, you know, a, a, a Terence Stamp figure or a dapper gentlemanly figure from the 50s or 60s. We're like old school in terms of we're old fucks. Yeah. You know, who, who still cling on to the idea that the 80s and 90s were a pivotal cultural time when things have moved on and there's dizzy rascals about, you know even dizzy rascals not even contemporary anymore that's how old school I am I know all of our references are about 15 years old yeah. now we haven't really written any songs down this week have we we haven't written any songs this week um, well, we could talk about that as well yeah. actually later on but um, what I have got because I think there's a one man effectively is the arbiter of, of the acme of old school these days. Um, it's that one-sided Janus of a man, Morrissey, forever looking backwards at the past. So what I've done, Joe, is yeah. I've compiled a list of his reactionary statements. Have you now? Oh, well, if you remember, the reason we started doing this in the first place, uh, we started thinking about all of our sort of... You should never have heroes. They always let you down. They get older, they get more reactionary, they say terrible things... They're usually pro-Brexit <coughs> living in America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of these people in exile having fucking amazing opinions about the country they no longer live in, but vaguely remember as it being a sort of ladybird picture book from yeah. the 1960s. But also having, having some kind of hotspot to, to believe they have the cultural capital to still make comments on the old... The old mother world. The old hey, mother, they're entitled the, to the their comment, world. but unfortunately, their their weight and opinion has as much more weight than say yeah. somebody who actually lives in has to deal with this shit now. While the wit may balloons, their weight of opinion has receded. <clears throat> so we thought about Terence Stamp, who has started saying terrible things. I think Michael Caine, who I researched and couldn't find any. We bad were talking things about this. Said. We were talking about this, but he's actually quite charming. He's kept quite a clean life in terms of unpleasant kind of yeah. comments. Although recently. He has come out in favour of Brexit. He could hold the silence no longer. So he uh, spoke out from his LA mansion to decry that Britain had had enough and it was about time that they stopped, the, the Europeans stopped flipping, sponging off Britain or something to that effect. Yeah. And it's just a small, it's an, it's an extra couple of miles in a taxi ride to discover that you've got a massive racist on your hands. Mm. And, and I think Cain, and in spite of his, his marriage to a very a very beautiful Indian woman, the, beauty, the beautiful aspects neither here nor there, the Indian aspect is quite, quite important. 
I still think Kane is, is, is a member of the old school as we were yeah. discussing like stuff. it's very much I'll get it I'll yeah. get out here if you don't mind yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah just drop me at the shop at this roundabout yeah, he'll go yeah. are you sure mate you live four streets along it's okay Michael I'll get out here how much do I owe you no take the whole fare yeah that's okay this is damage limitation now yeah okay um, so yeah the man I think for, for possibly for both of us mm. who let us down by far the most is that what would you call him a beautiful luminary Colossus yeah. Colossus of the 80s uh, Stephen Patrick Morrissey I was thinking of Terence Stamp we were entirely different spaces oh. there but I can see but the you parallel only, you only know him from Suede Song surely I know him from the uh, he's, he's I know the film star in the Terrelene suit I know him from Smith's uh, single covers yeah exactly again I mean it's the, the mirror uh, was it, is, is always facing backwards was it uh, there's a light or one of the Smith singles where it has Turnstop as the collector on the cover and Turnstop objected so, yeah, Marcy so Marcy's had, there with a glass of milk Marcy reprised yeah it's from, it is the collector because he's got um, his his little bandage with yeah. uh, chloroform on it but to take out Samantha Egger and that, things, that, things you remember when you're sober yeah. ludicrous no, to be honest, I would say this is the first one of these I'm doing sober so if you can see a, a desperate you know clawing quality to what I'm doing um, it's because uh, Joe's drunker than I am yeah, and, if you can see and, it, I, and I'm staring at his glass of wine sweating hard or as he calls it the abyss yeah the abyss <laughs> look at it there winking at me step right in I'm drinking some chamomile tea but I do have a packet of wine gums and if you hear me clawing on but Joe a wine gum. A wine gum. To go with my sparkling wine. Absolutely. If I drop it in, does that become some kind of... It's some, know, some fruity cocktail. Fruity cocktail. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, enjoy But that. to get back to Terence Stump, um, as, as a precursor to Morrissey, yeah. Terence Stump, a man I admire vastly, a great a great body of work. Um, well, General Zod, that's his finest album. Neil before Zod. Yeah. Um, he took Samantha Egger out in not quite the way that I would have imagined that he would. Hey! In The Collector. Um, however, I, re- I, re- I, re- I haven't read his autobiography recently. A delightful, charming story. He spent his early uh, actor years with Michael Kim. Yeah. Early the house was a bit of a hotbed for Dolly Burns, but it was always very respectful. His time with Gene Shrimpton. In the autobiography, he's quite there's undercurrents of an unpleasantness, you know, that kind of attitude to women that sixties guys had. That gives you the impression that sixties liberation only really applied to men, you know, and the pill was really for the benefit of male pleasure. Yeah, exactly. However, he never exceeded that line until recently. Uh, an older Terence Stamp complained about no less the irony going down to his favourite market in London and buying mangoes and the guy who sold him the said mangoes could barely speak a word of English the said imported Indian mangoes could barely speak a word of English I was disappointed um, yeah all roads lead to Morrissey really on this one um, the reactionary buffoon yeah who blighted our adolescence I, I don't know about you I think the in some ways he went through that generation like uh, polio, you know, yeah. crippling people wherever he went. It, was, like, it made you go, it's all right not to actually go out and interact with people because I can just stay home and it's just like Morrissey and he doesn't have to do any of that and nor will I. Um, and I think... Like a tainted polio-ridden knife through butter. Yeah, the Smiths were like a, a leper ringing a bell and a lot of people heard that bell. Yeah. Um, and that was when he was good. Yeah, yeah. Although, actually, if you look back, he was never that good. Here, in fact, I'm going to go with this quote Whoa, to on, start John. with. This is this is quite controversial. Are, are you t- are you taking it back to the uh, when Marcy was in the Smiths? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go all Early the way 80s. back to 1986. Have you seen the film, by the way? No, I haven't seen the film. Good Let me it. just get one quote out. Go, and then we'll talk about the film. Go. Uh, 1986. I don't know whether or not should I do the voice of um, Alan Bennett to, to read it because it sounds like Alan Bennett. I thought you were going to do uh, kind of deaf type voice I'm really relieved you said Alan Bennett yeah, do, Alan, do Alan Bennett <laughs> I can't do it now I'm shy <laughs> um, but ultimately cream. I don't <laughs> sorry I'll start again but ultimately <laughs> I don't uh, have any cast iron opinions on black music other than black <laughs> modern music which I detest I detest Stevie Wonder oh. I think Diana Ross is awful now Apart from that tip-top Alan Bennett impression. That's staggering. 1986, he hates Stevie Wonder and he hates Diana Ross. That's boggling. Unless he's talking about their output in that particular year, I can totally sympathise. But I don't think he is. I think he's talking about their entire output. This is a man, right, who the very next year, this is 86, in 1987, he will split up the Smiths 
because he wants to record a fucking Cilla Black song. What could be whiter and more kind of re- re- reactionary than recording a song, a little known song from a little known, very white Liverpoolian woman from the 60s. I say little known, she became littered with great, great success and presenting surprise, surprise and blind dates. Yeah, I'd say she's no Diana Ross. She's no I, fucking... I'm going to go out on a limb and say she's no Stevie fucking... And I'll go as far as to say she used to be called Cilla Black. He didn't like her then, did he? Mm. Well, her real name's Priscilla White. Maybe he knew that deep down, somewhere inside himself. We haven't, we're not even touching on his racism yet. I'll get to that. This is a foreshadowing of his oh, racism. Hang on, we really are touching yeah, on his totally, racism. Yeah, this, is, this is the same year he, he, he described reggae as being vile. Yeah, it was. Um, right, so that's that's the first okay. Morrissey quote. There. I haven't seen the film, no. Have no, you seen the film? No, I, mean, I actually don't want to see the film. Should we talk about a film we haven't seen? Um, is that a good podcast? It hasn't stopped us before, has it? I've seen all the films we've talked about, actually. And you've half seen the film we're going to talk about in the second oh half. Oh my God, talk about old school. Jesus Have Christ. Have you found... If you find old school in the malignant, blighted, negative and kind of sinister attitudes of the 70s, you're in for a treat. Here's another quote from Morrissey, right? Love it. Oh, by the way, before you quote that, if you can tell, we, we're, we're kind of like a pair of jilted lovers because we did at one time love Morrissey. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the problem. And there are none more vitriolic than those that have been betrayed. And Yeah, it has been. It was betrayed. But betrayed utterly in everything he did. I mean, his music's terrible. Fucking shocking. Um... Why did nobody tell me? You know, and everything he says now is is like the the pronouncement of of a, of a deposed despot. It's a desperate somewhere. gasp of a man who who used to have a who used to get attention is trying to find a way a permutation of getting attention again. And it's that weird... racism, misogyny, racism it, again. It's that weird bardo thing of like I've I've retired from public life, sort of, and I'm going to devote the rest of my life to animals. Yeah. And I always, I have to say, it's my bugbear. I'm always suspicious of people like animals more than, than people. It's it's old school. It's very old school. It is very old. And it's very much that I can't form a decent adult relationship yeah. with a human being. But dogs will love me uh, unconditionally and therefore they're my proper friends. People who, who will step over homeless That's people. That's not a proper friend. No, people who will step over homeless people in shop, in shop kind of uh, windows while crying over a dead lion. You yeah. know, that, it happens a lot. Happens a lot. People who leave all their money to cats. Scumbags. That's why I kill lions. And that's why Morrissey loves animals. Yeah, loves animals, hates people. Yeah. Hates all of the Chinese. Uh, what are they, subhuman? They're not even human. There's subspecies. Subspecies, that's incredible. I've, I'm, almost, I'm almost kind of loath to give Morrissey but the, he loves this much airtime. He loves a panda. Yeah. He, 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 lo- he loves a good panda. Well, we're going to give him a lot of airtime because yeah. I've got nothing else. But this is more about our betrayal than Morrissey. <laughs> The Morrissey, I guess. I guess it's it's a, it's a, it's a Morrissey represents the old school for us. It represents a time where I thought music was good. I'm now looking back, I realise music was neither good nor informed nor particularly inspiring. Well, we, we could open up a, a channel there to actually talk about Morrissey as a, a, a sort of exemplar of, of of that sort of moment yeah. in our lives because it wasn't necessarily just about music. It was no. about an entire culture. He represented an alternative way of living an alternative way of being sexual an alternative way of expressing yourself um an alternative way of dealing with poverty uh, without having anything if you think about music that came before that a lot of that was about um it was about it was like wham it was you know drinks are free you're in club tropicana everyone's tanned everyone's beautiful yeah, on yachts Whereas smiling Morris was presenting you with a, a dull town where you lived where nothing would ever happen. He had songs called Nowhere Fast, things like this. That was He was presenting you with a sort of skewed reality with a mordant wit, with stolen bits that came from culture that you could read up on. Yeah. And you could learn. You could become an autodidact. It was a sort of a bog-standard shitty version of what David Bowie had been doing 10 years before. Yeah. Whereas he was showing you planets and showing you art. Morrissey was showing you, you know... B movies from England of the she 1950s. Yeah, exactly. And you know, nicked bits and 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 you know, faces of you know Joe D'Alessandro's stomach, um, which was you know very not muscular. to be sniffed at, not to be don't sniff at his stomach for God's sake. He doesn't like it. There was also, I mean, there's also a sense of an, an, an invitation to belong to a group of yeah. people who didn't belong anywhere. I felt I felt that particularly strongly growing up here. Uh, that, that's why I resisted for a long time, even when I saw the signs very early on that Morrissey was probably had opinions that were quite unsavoury and directly in contradiction to my own. I 
ignored those for some for for, for for a lot longer than I than I should have. His racist songs, Bengalian platforms, beautiful melody, and appalling sentiments. Uh, National Front Disco. He got a lot of stick for that. That wasn't maybe one of the worst ones. That was one of his point of view songs. Yeah. But then the point of view songs became all he did. Songs from the point of view of a white racist skinhead became his obsession. You know, at, at, at that stage, even then, I forgive him. It's only quite recently, I'm ashamed to say, that I finally give up on Morrissey. Even at the, at, at the worst, even when he started saying things like, even the Chinese comments, you and I went to see him after that, I think. Yeah, we did, yeah. <laughs> to our eternal shame. In a, in a fucking ice rink in Belfast. And he was wearing what looked like <laughs> a, a Starship, Star Trek captain's fucking top. Yeah. From the Voyager years, by the way. Not too many pithy comments in uh, Northern Ireland for some reason. No. You know, maybe he was actually a bit afraid of the boys. I think he was, yeah. Um, the pith had dried up. But I'll give you one of his terrible comments because, uh, you know, it seems it seems ripe because, like I say, we he, he at one point in time he stood for, you know, uh, the lonely and the miserable and depressed and it, it was a beacon. It was a light that never went out. Come. To coin a phrase. Right, this is the sort of thing he says now. And this is on the Norway massacre in which 77 people died. And fascist maniac Anders Breivik. Yeah. Morrissey told the Warsaw crowd, that's nothing compared to what happens in McDonald's and Kentucky Fried shit every day. That was a live pronouncement? Oh, yeah. That was his hot take on a massacre. Followed by Girlfriend in a Coma? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I, I'm not sure whether it's, it's it's deliberately provocative, misguided, or just simply a desperate gasp of, a, of an ageing Rue who's lost it. It trying just to get attention. seems like it's his one thing he does now. It's pathetic. It's, like, it's almost... It's, it's, what, what happened it's to you? It's pathological, John. Yeah. It's pathetic. It's what, what, what happened to you today? Well, my two responses are to talk about my court case, which has been ongoing. You know, it's like jaundice and jaundice. It's bleak house, this court yeah. case, that never ends. And it was fully a third of his autobiography or he'll talk about the plight of animals in the world and uh, or he'll talk about you know he, he can't trust anyone in his record company and that's pretty much his three go-to areas that's yeah. all he says now got, that's all he says for 20 years i got to say a bigger a bigger signifier to me that Morrissey was an irredeemable asshole was the fact that he couldn't hold on to a record company for longer than the last one was like two months I think yeah um, like a lot of people who work in the industry who can't maintain long-term relationships a few of who we know, I would say. Um, Morrissey is is so completely uh, in the right in everything he does. M- Morrissey lives in Morrisseyland. Mm. And the reason we're getting so angry, about, I imagine you're wondering if you're listening why we're so angry about Morrissey. Morrissey actually betrayed, he betrayed my youth. I spent a long period of my youth being a Smiths fan. I remember turning my friends onto the Smiths. I remember leaving a cassette on my best friend James's kind of bedside before I left and said, he was a Bon Jovi fan previously. Left a cassette of the Smiths, of my favourite Smiths songs. The next day, James rang me up and went, what the hell was that? That was amazing. James gave him a Smith song, a Smith's fan overnight. He didn't become a Smith song. There is a Smith song called James, is there? There should be. Um, that's the effect of the Smiths on formative minds. Lloyd Cole's song called James. There is, yes. Yeah. I knew it was one of them. Yeah, the other guy. Oh, can I tell you my... At He's some point, all right. Don't, no problem with Lloyd. Can I tell you my Lloyd Cole Morrissey story at some point? Yeah, do. Do it now, in fact. That would be appropriate, yeah. Well, okay. Uh, Lloyd, Lloyd Cole was playing in Belfast so not... not more than two or three years ago okay. quite recently um, I had some involvement in bringing him over it was uh, exciting to have him over he was doing an acoustic set you're a friend of the stars aren't you I, I, I'm a passing acquaintance to uh, people who used to be famous yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best description of what I am um, <laughs> that's how I know you Lloyd if you're listening call me Speed dial Speed dial anytime anytime Lloyd the door's open the door's yeah, open always tweet me tweet me not literally open no, that would be weird. Susan's downstairs doing, Cut. cutting out a dress pattern. So Susan's a real person, by the way. It's not a metaphor or euphemism. Super not, not like Graham. So anyway, Lloyd, um, I, I arranged to meet Lloyd in a local pub called the John Hewitt. He checked into his hotel. Really? God. Yeah. He checked into his hotel, which was the Holiday Inn. Not the Holiday Inn, the Premier Inn. The Lenny Henry Hotel, as we call really? it in these parts. God. Yeah. Times is hard in the arts. Um, no, fair enough. It's, the John and, Hewitt, uh, by the way, is a lovely place. Yeah. So uh, Lloyd's... Uh, was about to go for a walk and he, he, he said to the reception is anywhere I can leave my really expensive Gretsch guitar and they said I'm afraid we don't have a place of safekeeping for such a thing Mr. Cole you're going to have to carry it with you or keep it in your room being Lloyd he didn't want to keep it in his room so he went for a walk holding his guitar case you know walking around the streets of Belfast Right. who did he pop into at the corner of North Street 
but uh, a flamboyant Morrissey with a couple of hangers on. Morrissey's wearing a splendid and velvet jacket and a deep red shirt, as I understand Lloyd described it. Mm-hmm. He saw Lloyd. Lloyd saw Morrissey. And they stopped and Lloyd went, hey, Stephen. And Stephen went, hello, Lloyd. And they chatted about the time that the Smiths supported Lloyd Cole and the commotions on the 1984 turf. <laughs> <laughs> Morrissey had the last laugh. Yeah, Morrissey, and then, and then Lloyd said, "Morrissey, uh, he, uh, what are you doing in Belfast?" I'm doing a couple of nights in the waterfront, which is a very big venue in Belfast. Uh, Lloyd was doing one night in an art centre, round the corner from where he bumped into Morrissey, holding a guitar in his hand. Uh, Lloyd had a guitar. Morrissey had a couple of uh, hangers on, and a very tanned, beautiful-looking uh, young, young man with him. So then uh, Morrissey looked down at Lloyd and, and looked up and said, "How are you doing?" Lloyd went, "Oh, you know, can't complain." You know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing around the corner. And Marcy went, great to see you. And then Lloyd said, how's your mother? Do you remember the cuckoo clock that I got her for her birthday? <laughs> <laughs> and Marcy said, yes, I do. And she does as well. And then they went, they parted ways. Lloyd, I, I, I saw Lloyd five minutes afterwards. He walked into the pub and I just bumped into Marcy. And this is all true because you can read it on Lloyd Cole's website. He actually documented it on his website. And the point where Lloyd, Lloyd Cole says, the point where Marcy looked him up and down, he says, how have you been doing, Lloyd? And he goes, oh, not bad. Lloyd, Lloyd Cole said, I felt like a complete wally. I was standing there holding my guitar in my hands. I think I was about to busk outside the local bus station. No. True story. Lloyd Cole is my spirit animal. Lloyd Cole's wonderful. He's wonderful. What a lovely fellow. He later on played a great gig. That was but that misguided period he spent, you know, pretending to be Bruce Weber photographs. That was unfortunate. That, that was unfortunate. That was bad. Yeah. Shooting pool with the boys. Yeah. He, he, he had the look, though, to Boxing. be fair. He had the look. Shots of him boxing. <laughs> Morrissey would have loved that, to be fair. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Morrissey admired him at five. He was a very good-looking young man. He was a very that. handsome man. In fact, Mar- Morrissey expressed as much, I think. In the, he, he used to be... Lloyd Cole was Morrissey's uh, touchstone for Cool Indy when he was doing record reviews in the NME on the Melly Maker in the 80s. It's like some kind of Lloyd Cole wannabe. Used to be his oft- often his phrase for a band like the Lemon Trees. The lemon trees. Lemon trees. What do you call that band that had lemon in them? It wasn't the lemon. Mighty heads. lemon drops. Mighty lemon drops, not the lemon okay, trees. Okay, well, you know. Who are the lemon trees? I think you've made up the lemon trees. I think I might have done. Hang on, Trini Lopez. That's lemon tree. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I knew there was, was a connection. Is that, is that little bird? All I, all, all I know is that it's old school. So um, what, what was uh, the Morrissey quote that you were about to deliver there? I'm pretty sure there was one. Well, I don't... Actually, I feel bad now because, you know... That was a delightful story about Lloyd Cole. And I don't really want to go back into the mar of, of Morrissey's endless betrayal. <laughs> but, I mean, this is something else he said. Go on. If you walk through Knightsbridge on any bland day of the week, you won't hear an English accent. Oh, my God. You'll hear every accent under the sun, apart from a British one. My problem there is... He Lloyd jumps... wouldn't say that. No, Lloyd would never say that. He jumps from English to British... Yeah, he does. Without well, like so much as a drawing a breath. Well, he, he just caught himself there because obviously he thinks of himself as 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 sort of pan UK. What, 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 Irish blood is it? English blood? Irish blood? I don't remember the title. He's I, got I, Irish blood, I, English heart. To, the the most telling thing about Morris is he has a song called "My Life," is an endless succession of people saying goodbye. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Yeah, I've just slammed a door in their face. <laughs> You know, suddenly I'm not returning their yeah. faxes. He slams the door in their face. He he cuts them out, and then he bemoans the fact that they don't they aren't in contact with them anymore. It's like the old joke about the Irishman who made his own sandwiches and killed himself because he kept getting ham sandwiches for lunch. What's what's that joke? Yeah, you know, the old joke uh, again to indulge parochial stereotypes. The Irishman, Englishman, and Scotsman. Yeah. I can't even doing this. This is old school. This is proper old school. An Irishman and Englishman. Roy Walker teach you this. Roy, is this one of his? Roy, if you're listening, call me. Another one, another <laughs> one of Joe's star friends, Roy Walker. Roy Walker. Always on speed dial. Always on speed Can't dial. Can't shake him off. <laughs> Roy Walker, Lloyd Cole, and uh, Bob pan- Stanley. You mean the, Bob, pa- if you're the listening. Pantheon. <laughs> <laughs> I believe there's a building in France that contains all the memorial to all these people. Yes, um, stuffed. Badly. The joke is that the Irishmen, uh, they all kill themselves because they keep getting the same lunch every day. And it's implied that their wives make. <laughs> it's implied that their wives make. Okay, they are. So the Welshman goes, "If I get chicken sandwiches another day, I'm going to kill myself." 
The following day, he gets chicken sandwiches for lunch, and he goes, chicken sandwiches, no, and throws himself off the scaffolding, because they're all builders, you see. Right, you should have mentioned that before. Sorry, I didn't That's say they're key. builders. I never get, I always do this in jokes. I fail to get the the narrative in the right order. You're reverse engineering this joke. I, I Always, right. I'm always working in, in, in the reverse. So let me set the scene. The builders, they're sitting on some scaffolding, they're up in their lunch pails. That's better, um, yeah. And uh, they go... Thank you, John. Your warm, brown, reassuring tones have set that narrative scene right. much more adeptly than N- ever. Now, now you can dig in there and really finish yeah. this. Okay, so... Put this to bed. So the Welshman goes, if I get chicken sandwiches again, I'll kill myself. The yeah. next day, he gets chicken sandwiches. Oh, no. He goes, no, and throws himself off, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he goes, no, or no, as Welsh people what may a do. senseless loss. The Scotsman goes, I'm not going to do a Scottish accent because that will be demeaning to everyone concerned. Okay. If I get corned beef sandwiches again... I'll, I didn't say haggis notice, no, notice. No, no. Oh, yeah. deep fried because yeah. it's not the 70s or the 80s yeah, exactly. if I get wouldn't do that if I get corned beef sandwiches again I'll kill myself sure enough his wife packs corned beef oh, sandwiches God, no. and he goes no corned beef sandwiches Noah and jumps oh. off um, Noah that's uh, that's more Geordie to be a fair Noah. it's biblical on Geordie but it's not Scott's Tom uh, York's son it's called Noah it's called Noah You're, we're getting off the we're getting off course I know, but you know. the Irishman to get to the crux of the matter <laughs> says if I get the same ham sandwiches again as I got last lunchtime yesterday indeed I'll kill myself sure enough he opens his lunchbox it's ham sandwiches no he goes and throws himself off the scaffolding as well three of them plummet to their deaths it's all very sad at the funeral the Welsh uh, builder's wife's going if only I'd changed the sandwiches if only I'd varied the sandwich makeup or put an apple in or something the Scottish uh, builder's wife's going if only I'd kind of changed the sandwiches. If only I'd made something else. If only I'd, I'd varied his diet. And the Irish wife, builder's wife, goes, I don't understand. He made his own sandwiches. <laughs> and, it's, uh... and, and, and it's old school because in these jokes, the Irish man is always the butt of the joke. But if you're in Ireland, it's the Kerry man and so on and so forth. Oh, so, it's you know, always somebody else. His wife made his sandwiches. All yeah. their wives. Are... Yeah. Okay. I'm... And that was Hang meant on. to be Hang a metaphor on, for Morrissey's kind of hubris and kind of. Hang hum- on. Yeah. That joke, right? Yeah. They're at, the, fun- the, they're at the funeral. <laughs> the wives are all yes. at the funeral. They're all getting buried together, these men, incidentally. Yeah, it's a very moving song. Yeah. Um, well, they all died together. But they know that they killed themselves <laughs> because yeah. of the contents of their lunches. Correct, yeah. So it's malice and forethought. Okay, John, it doesn't start with the It's basically, it's murder. <laughs> I know you're going to kill yourself if I give you another ham sandwich. No, I, 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 I'm giving you the sandwich. It's not suggested. Throw yourself off the scaffolding. As you know, a lot of those marriages, those kind of marriages in that scenario, in that white Anglo-Saxon kind of situation, the man doesn't communicate to the woman. Only one of those people is a white Anglo-Saxon. He, term- might, he might not even be white. Well, we don't know. Celtic, I, believe it or not, the Celtic Anglo-Saxon nexus isn't that kind of far apart. <laughs> Well, they're they're all white, stolid Presbyterian Catholic. Not, that's not a popular view around here, Joe. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe around here. Actually. Yeah, Graham, if if you're actually editing this, can you maybe change that to? Um, I'm, I don't know. All white people. Uh, he, he's from Larm. He won't see anything. Yeah, wrong with Graham's also Scots technically, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, he he, he, really he, he takes in two of those those groups. My point is, well, he can get arts council funding any time. White working class men, men of that generation didn't communicate with their wives, right. so they internalised it. They thought to themselves, "If this happens again, I'll kill myself." Their wives didn't have malice of forethought. Their wives couldn't possibly have known that repeating the lunch of corned beef yeah, sandwiches... you're missing the point. They do know. They do. At the end of the thing, they go, oh, if only I hadn't given him in that sandwich. Yeah. That they begs, knew. That begs, and they still went ahead and did the sandwich. That begs the question, how do they know that that was the... The trigger. The tipping point. The yeah. trigger, yeah. Do you know what? That throws up more questions than it answers. I was trying to draw a parallel There's to There's a Marcy. deeper mystery here. Yeah. I was trying to draw a parallel to Marcy using an old school joke. Slightly yeah. kind of xenophobic or... Uh, what would you call it um, bigoted joke I guess yeah, bigoted yeah, joke yeah, yeah. Um, instead of what it's done is it's thrown up questions about the wives in this situation well I think we can take from that that Morrissey is a bigoted joke yeah indeed we can and let's salute the wives of English Scottish and Irish builders I'm saluting you with some chamomile tea and I'm saluting you with some warm flat Prosecco mm. it's what Paddy Irishman would have wanted I see the thing. They're always called Paddy Irishmen. Before I moved it, no, because they're called Paddy Englishmen, <laughs> yeah. Paddy Scotsmen, and Paddy Irishmen. It's like an incantation. It's like a ritual. They don't have that in England. No, no, no. It's just you know Englishmen, Irishmen, Scotsmen. It's, it's Irish. Like Paddy English. It's Irish nervousness. Who the fuck is that? For the same reason we say so, it is at the end of sentences. We have to add Paddy 
I've just worked out I'm Paddy Englishman. You're Paddy Englishman. Fucking hell. Literally, you're John. I'm the John. Paddy Englishman. Yeah. Oh. Right, one one last Morrissey quote, right? This is the measure of the man. This is recent. Okay, how recent is this? I haven't got a date on this one. Stephen Patrick, if you're listening, call him. (laughs) He said it. He can't take it back. It's out there. It's in the world. Right? But he'll brush off your criticism like like he will so many naysayers before. He'll think you're a hater and you're jealous and you're part of the creative destructive force that's trying to undermine true talent. If anybody in the world uh, underst- is supposed to understand thwarted love, it should be Morrissey. If you can't understand where this anger yeah. and vitriol is coming from, when he's displayed it, but he won't because he's a fucking sociopath. But um, that's where it is. This is the stem of it. It's Marcy, the, if you're listening, betrayal. John said you were a sociopath. <laughs> I, I kind of agree I, with I him. I think that's probably true. I kind of agree with him. Um, he said this. Right. If you remember his entire career, he's not been much of a royalist. He's no. Been, he's been fairly consistent on that. It's one of his bugbears, yes. Right? The only thing <coughs> in his life that's bigger than his anti-royalism is his uh, not wanting to eat animals. That's his. That's his major thing in life. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Um, this is what he said. Congratulations to Prince Charles for banning foie gras from all of his functions. Now. Oh, that's is there a full stop there? I that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's it. <laughs> now, obviously, <coughs> saying the word functions in an Alan Bennett voice is hilarious. And we oh, all know that yeah. because you can read a lot of things. A royal it. function. Yeah, but. He's congratulating Prince Charles. Also, from all his functions. From his functions. <laughs> but, not, but not from his private life. Yeah, no, obviously. <laughs> he gorges at that like you know, pig in a trough. Throwing at back home. the yeah. autolons. Yeah. No problem. At Cornwall Castle, wherever the fuck he lives. He's I think that's the tr- second reference to an autolon we've made in this in these podcasts. Can we, can we make it a hat trick? <laughs> yeah, let's go next week. Eating, eating Congratulations. Like birds. Also, he uses the honorific prince. Oh, yeah. legal. Prince Charles for banning foie gras from all of his functions. Yeah, that's a whole mixed bag of contradiction and confusion. There. I mean, Marcy, Marcy, if you're listening, get help. Seriously, that that is insane. He won't ask for help. He's not that kind of guy. He's too proud. He, you know, I think I I'm predicting this. Yeah, I think it's a suicide for Marcy. Ooh. And you're you haven't even, you're drinking chamomile tea. You're I think even, he's backing himself. No, I'm not drunk. This is this is even, this is even drunk and vainglorious humour. I think he's it? backing himself further and further into a series of corners, and he will have nobody to talk to and nowhere to go, and no one to be with, and be alone with all his millions, uh, and his huge amount of fans who he never wants to speak to personally. He's got nowhere to go. He needs to open up. Call me Morrissey. I can talk you down. From his racist ledge. Well, yeah. <laughs> I am a white hey, man. John. You'll, you'd probably like me. John, you're forgetting. He'll always have Boz Burger. I think he's fallen out with Boz. What? Alan's gone a long time ago. Alan White went yeah. oof. Yeah. Boz is gone. Don't tell me I'm that. I'm not sure Boz is still there. I was in Boz's flat in Camden once and he had wall to wall. Not One of Joe's celebrity chums. Uh, Boz Bora. One of my middling, uh, middlingly famous passing acquaintances. Yeah. What's, what's Boz short for? Did you ask? Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't. No, it didn't seem appropriate. Bosley? I think he was named after Charlie's Angels. Boris Borough Bosley. I think he was. Tom Bosley? Yeah. No, Tom Bosley, yeah. <laughs> He's named after Howard Cunningham. Everybody's, like. everybody's favourite Happy Days actor. <laughs> Fancy! <laughs> That's what his catchphrase was. Uh, Bosborough stuck stuck by him for nigh on two decades. Yeah, uh, was a creative mainstay for for his work. He's ditched him as well for a younger rockabilly. I, might be, I might be making that up. It wouldn't be a rockabilly because it's uh, isn't his his favorite guitarist now is that Jesse guy who we saw him with. Oh yeah yeah, uh, he's, he's American and he was in some yeah. awful kind of American kind of emo kind of yeah they're doing some punk rock versions of, of songs and there's a lot of Marcy's me- basically channeling Green Day these spank. days he really he's is. channeling Green Day he's got a new album coming out and do you know what it's called go on Low in High School I mean that's not even a thing that's not even a thing no it doesn't even work his puns don't even, or his, his, his amusing aphorisms aren't amusing or no. aphoristic anymore oh hang on it's Low in High School yeah it doesn't work that's it's clumsy. it it's clumsy it's like clumsy just, you, when you say it out loud it's yeah. like ah I'm low in high school. Uh, I was going to read a poem this week, but I'm, it's going to be the lyrics to Back to the Old House um, because I thought that would be appropriate. That would be appropriate. Um, but I just couldn't be bothered. John's poetry. 
corner. Uh, Is it happening? No, Why not, John? Well, get it, get it on your phone. I'll read it out for you. In the spirit of, of you know, spontaneity, which, which we both firmly believe in, we are still mates after all. I, I don't believe in it. I, uh, I do a lot of planning. I'm routed at every turn. Um, by well, spontaneity, which I abhor. Routed at every turn. By routed at every turn by spontaneity. I want to be stayed and 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 turgid and well planned. I want to leave nothing to chance. Dare I say old school? Um, yeah, and and Joe comes in like a whirlwind, and uh, runs through all of my plans. But uh, that's fine. Okay, I'll, I'll never get to read these Morrissey quotes now. I know, but, I know uh, that now. But I think the, the uh, enigma, the conundrum that is Morrissey is best expressed by the lurks at the back of the old house job. If you want to use my phone as a reading and scrolling device. Okay. John's Poetry Corner. Morrissey Special. Okay, well, this isn't really poetry. Oh, hello. I would rather not go back to the old house. I would rather not go back to the old house. There's too many bad memories. Too many memories. When you cycled by here, began all my dreams. The saddest thing I've ever seen. And you never knew how much I really liked you. Because I never even told you. Oh, <laughs> but I meant to. Are you still there? Or have you moved away? Or have you moved away? I'd love to go back to the old house. But I never will. I never will. I never will. I never will. Oh! Oh! I like to leave it hopeful at the end. Oh, I love the way the upturn at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. There's a soup song of, of kind of... Uh, There's something there. You promise there. There's something, something maybe might happen. Well... As you down another wine gum. I think you've had enough, buddy, by the way. <laughs> they are Moorish. Extremely. Oh, my God. Do you want one? Don't mind if I do. Yeah, please, right. please, please make it hock. I'm, I'm in hock already. I may as well. Champagne. Yeah. Is that so? So, uh, John, I think... A glass of champagne. I think you're very sympathetic and profound reading of... Uh, Thank you. Which is essentially five sentences. Um, yeah, and I wanted to keep it brief. Yeah. Well, but, so did Morrissey, clearly. Also, there's a huge lie that he's an amazing poet, and he's not. No, come but on. The, but there is also a great confusion between He's an lyrics. able lyricist. There's a great confusion between lyrics and poetry. I remember the uh, the songs of Lou Reed were published in a book, as if they were poems, and they're not poems. They're kind of clunky lyrics at best. Mm. Uh, Marcy's lyrics. I mean, reading that the way you did, I I I realized something of the patheticness of Marcy. Marcy has had a an, a want from a very young age has never been met or fulfilled. And as he got older, that that that's that's kind of congealed and kind of mouldered and become something quite ugly and that's where we are today with Marcy calling Chinese subhuman and that's why we spent most of the podcast about old school decrying Marcy our former indie hero yeah I mean he's a he's a brilliant self-publicist well yeah he's a great advertiser he would have been an amazing advertising man he's good with a slogan he's good with a title completely he's good with his he's artful in his magpieisms he thieves from good places and covers his tracks. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the Victoria Wood poem, 17 again. But it's basically, you know, rush on ruffians. But his greatest strength, and nobody ever says this, Morrissey we're talking about, yeah. you know, is his singing. Ah. He's, he's got a thing. Are you going to do the Brian Ferry theory of singing? As in Morrissey has mm. become a stronger and more interesting singer the older he's got? Or I wasn't necessarily going to say that. Well, that's a relief. Um, I'm just reeling that out before you continue. Although you know, I do think that about David Bowie, that his best singing was done in the eighties. There 80s. was some controversy about about you and. I'm Bowie not saying his first. best songs were done yeah. in the eighties, but his singing is strong and supple and vibrant and beautiful. There was some forceful misunderstanding on social media. John took a bit of a battering, undeservedly so, but John clearly said his strongest singing, not his best songs, mm. happened in the eighties. Doesn't doesn't matter on social media. They'll batter you anyway. They will. Um, yeah, no, I think his, because he's a non-singer, he started off not really being able to sing very well. Um, Slaughter of the Dogs. sort of used that and used the the weird narrowness of his of his range. Yeah, thin, reedy. Which, no, it's quite it's quite a long, uh, low sort of 
timorous thing, and then he does the falsetto as yeah, well. Yeah, the yelping and the whipping um, and the. And he's turned that into something that's actually sort of unique and oddly beautiful. He's a, he's a, he's a remarkable singer. But he's become he's become like a crooner, like they all like they all did. I, mean, I think in. Well, I've got nothing wrong with that. I've got to have a croon. Yeah, yeah, I've got no problem with crooning. All right, bring the okay. croon. You know, I, I think Immacolic's a lot to answer. Immacolic is kind of inspired more singers possibly than indie singers than anybody realizes. He was just trying to do David Bowie. Always comes All back to Bowie. He was trying to, he was trying to, or so McCulloch claimed he was trying to do a cross between Bowie and Sinatra, and spectacularly failed at both. I think. Mm. Okay, let's stop talking about Morris now. Can we? Can we yeah. stop? Can I? Can I just add a, a coda to this? Which uh, it, it's a always bit about, with the coda. It's a bit about Morrissey, but it's more about the fact that Morrissey wasn't the be all and end all of the eighties like we once thought he was. Yeah. There was a popular pop TV show whose name escapes me now, presented by Tony Blackburn, where I'm sure you've seen it as well with Morrissey and George Michael on the same panel. They were judging that week's releases. I was going to say this. Yeah. And was, George Michael uh, was by far the most articulate and interesting, and insightful. Character. He's a charming page. man, ironically. Ironically, uh, yes. Whereas Morrissey was stiff and arch. Stayed and, and yeah, and smug and a little bit snippy. Ungenerous. Completely. Well, yeah, surprisingly. The ungenerosity of Morrissey. Yeah. Second only to Coogan. Much like the generosity of Coogan. <laughs> John has a theory about that for another podcast. <laughs> um, we haven't done the outfits, Joe. Nice socks. Spotty. Nice cravat. Thanks very much. John wanted to comment about it. John, I, I, I came into John's place because we do all the podcasts in John's um, study. My study. Uh, John was resplendent in a short-sleeved, brown nylon, pocketed shirt. I mean, lower pockets. I, I think this is some sort of candle wick or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, what can I be described as a cravat? Lounging on a, on a settee, looking for all the world like... A middle-aged, no, a middle-aged, not middle-aged, a middle, a, a mid-period Stuart Granger, with glasses. I was going for um, uh, denim Elliot. I'm thinking Stuart Granger and Magambo. Right. Was he in Magambo even? I don't even know what Magambo is. is it's that a, a film starring Stuart Granger. I'm hoping. You, you imagine. Or Clark Gable, one of those two. Um, I was going for denim Elliot in the House of Drip Blood. Well, the jeans are definitely denim Elliot. Mm. Very good. That's nice. <laughs> See, he's done it again every week. There's one. <laughs> Um, right, Joe, I frightened you half to death today by making you watch one of the worst things I think either of us have ever seen just for this podcast. You think it's easy putting this together? It's hard work. There's, There's graft. Homework. You know, and it it's genuinely one of the most appalling things in the world. What was the name of the uh, the film we watched, Joe? Ah. Uh... God hadn't invent no. no what was... Shall I do it because you obviously do. don't know it now? No, it was so horrific. I haven't actually. Uh, we watched um, a 1974 production of Johnny Spates. Johnny Spates. Um, if blacks didn't exist, you'd have to invent them. I got the words in the wrong order, but yes. Well, yeah, exactly. well, you know, because it's uh, it, it, it's, I, I, it's I, quite I'm a still, title. It's I'm, a strong title. I'm still flabbergasted at the title. Yeah. Uh, and I think Johnny Spate was trying to be shocking, trying to provoke attention, possibly believing he was well-meaning. It was the most horrific piece of racist, uh, ill-thought-out kitsch, badly videoed theatrical kitsch, TV kitsch I've ever seen. It was made for TV. It was a play for the day type affair. Filmed in 74. Shockingly, it wasn't the first iteration of this play. It had previously been done in 1968, John tells me. Well, when I arrived. Yeah. I came in the door and went, Joe! I wonder why he wanted me to arrive early today. I thought he wanted to get rid of me early. Turns out he wanted me to watch this piece of racist 70s film. Um, yeah. <laughs> I did. With an all-star cast. Uh, all-star cast. I mean, you can't take that away from it. It's it's an interesting thing. It's uh, because it came out originally. Uh, it was a black and white version. Um, it came out in 1968. And it's very much a play. It's definitely a play. It's clunkingly in, a play. In that sort of 1960s, 70s sort of... They just put a play on television. They just put a camera and have on two stage. static cameras, yeah. yeah, and just pointed at it. Um, so all the choreographer of people coming in and out, it's set in a, a cemetery. Um, and uh, it's basically a series of people interacting with each other, but they're all allegorical. Shockingly people. allegorical. Oh um, my God. So there's a blind man who is offended by colour. Ha ha ha. 
uh, there's uh, uh, a liberal who hangs around with him who shuts his eyes so he can't see so he's equal with the blind man don't you see he's complicit don't you see there's a young homosexual man who is uh, who also wets the bed because that's apparently what gay people do um, <laughs> and he's Jewish there's a doctor and he's a Jewish priest as well, John. and he's Jewish as well gay Jewish bedwetter uh, but Johnny Spate's Jewish so it's alright he can say what he likes about Jews he's fine with that um there's a doctor and a priest who, who come up against each other. And it comes out of the 1960s satire boom. And there's two versions of this. The black and white one that I saw last night is actually... Uh, it looks... It, it, it's bad. But you can sort of see what they're doing. Um, it's directed far more fluidly. It's directed in a way that the acting is much more sympathetic. Um and it's humanised and rounded out. Um, it's still, you know, fairly appalling. And But you can see echoes of the theatre with the absurd. So it's still appalling, because you, you were explaining to me, I've only seen the second version of 74. Yeah. And you were explaining to me all the while, this, the 68 black and white version is somehow more sympathetic, more nuanced. Yeah. Uh, it's exactly the same script. I fail to see how that script can possibly convey anything other than clunking... You well, know, it, well, it's interesting because there's two very different readings of what goes on in that script. There's a lot more. Uh, some of the people involved wince with pain when they're saying things. They chuckle when they're saying things. There's a sense of that they're cast differently, so everything yeah. looks different. Um, it's it's very interesting to watch these two things back to back because the 1974 version is basically abhorrent from the get go. It's garish. It's hideous. It's horrific. Um, it's, and it's loaded, as you John said, with allegorical content, clunking allegory, allegory from the the posh city gents subjugating the lower middle class fellow. They they suddenly become members of the military with too long mm, hair. Mm. The, the the two priests, the Catholic priest and the Protestant minister, at loggerheads, and as you described, the doctor having the confront, the really embarrassing agitprop confrontation with the priest, and they're administering their various. Uh, Solutions to the same problem. It's it's and then, and then a string of naughty nurses for apropos of fuck all, as far as I can tell. Uh, all the while, the sets rattling as people wander on and wander off. The wonderful Leonard Rossiter plays a blind man who doesn't know he's black. Uh, I was going to say presaging Stevie Wonder, but really Stevie Wonder was in that predicament. Uh, the, the old awful Stevie Wonder joke about the fact he doesn't doesn't realize he's black, but I think he believe he kind of explained it on himself. That's one of the bedrocks of this terrible misguided. I don't know that joke. What's that joke? Stevie Wonder apparently once said, "At least I'm not black." He said, "Someone asked him, well, what's it like being blind? It must be difficult." He went, "Yeah, but at least I'm not black." <laughs> the joke being See, that, that when he says it, it's good, that's quite funny. Yeah, but put yeah. it in the hands of sensitive social realist Johnny Spade. <laughs> <laughs> this is the man who also wrote uh, in sickness and in health to death through sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the short-lived Korean chips were uh, Spike Milligan. Not to be confused with Spike Lee, browned up to play a Pakistani. Was it in fact the same Pakistani that he played in Till Death Do His Part? Um, yeah, very possibly the, so. The Paki was, was that Was that where they got the inspiration to go, this is brilliant, let's do 10 episodes of this? A spin off series. Yeah. <laughs> it really, really features your startlingly blue eyes when you, when you black up. Um. Slap on some bits. In the same way that Frasier was a spin-off from Cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curry and chips as a spin-off from <laughs> fucking hell. You have to wonder about Johnny Spade, right? You do, you do. Because his entire career seems to be predicated on this notion of of race. And he it's 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 like he's drunk with it. You can see bits where in everything he does that that the character who is the racist and the bigot is the only human, the only rounded character in the room. Yeah. It's the only one you're interested or care of. Everybody else is just Tony you know, Booth is a harping buffoon, you know. Stuff the enough. Dandy Nichols is yeah. just a woman going, Oh I know. You know, nobody else does anything. He is the Warren vital Mitchell. spark. Yeah, yeah. You know, he so you have to say if you're putting these clownish bigoted ideas into his mouth and yet he's the only one people like, how is that pillaring him? How is it telling you that he's wrong? Yeah, I also... think there's an awful lot of people who watched that and didn't think there was anything no. funny about it at all. It's just a funny bloke saying funny stuff and yeah. getting it right. Spit absorbs up by going, hey, I'm just documenting the time. Yeah. I'm just telling it like it is. But really, there's a little too much glee in the, in the racist attitudes in it. 
and as you say, a little too much sympathy in the main antagonist. Where Mitchell, who does a very good job as playing a daffle racist, he too was a Jewish uh, man, and they both used that uh, to plead kind of innocence in terms of their kind of attitudes mm. to race relations. But in fact, these are some of the most offensive. There, there was a comedy which I don't remember firsthand called uh, Love Thy Neighbor. Yeah, was that Spade as well? No, I don't think so. I think that might have been Vince Powell. But I well, was I he could, I could was he wrong. another enlightened man yeah, 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 telling yeah. it like it was? I think he did mind your language and stuff. Like because that. I think the defense of that was, well, the black neighbor always has the last laugh, so therefore it's okay to use phrases like nig nog or throw bananas at him or or make a misassumption about a daughter's birthday and thinking it was a voodoo ritual and so on and so forth, which I'm imagining was one of the scripts. <laughs> I don't know for yeah, certain. It's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was a birthday all along. Fire, blimey. I can write that one down. <laughs> John Scribble's yeah. idea in Notebook. Voodoo ritual birthday. Cracking. But these, these, this is old school comedy. This was seen as acceptable in the yeah. mid-70s. I mean, uh, you showed me a clip from... Uh, not even not even acceptable, but under, it came under the banner of progressive. De rigueur, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like, you know, this is... We're, at least we're addressing these issues. We're not sweeping them away under the carpet. And, you know, you, you watch these things now and they're, they're jaw... You haven't seen the end of that film, right? No. What I happens watch at the anymore. end I couldn't watch is that Richard Beckinsale, he's in it, lovely. Looking um, beautiful, by the way. gorgeous. Wow. That beautiful like kind of pigeon-chested kind of 70s beauty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, never seen National Service. And you can tell, he's soft. He is soft. Um, Viable. Soft and hairless. It's just the way I like him. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, he, they basically forcibly black him up and then he's uh, executed by uh, a man who has been forcibly made into a soldier. Um, oh my God, the allegory becomes solid and therefore... Oh. Because everybody needs someone to hate and the soldier needs yeah. someone to kill and the doctor needs someone to be progressive and liberal about. Yeah, and the script and the needs to conclude needs, in some way. Yeah, the, pri- <laughs> the, well, the priest needs to uh, uh, officiate at a ceremony and the funeral director, played by Jeffrey Bell and also lovely, um, needs someone to bury. So the the, the murder of this blacked-up young man is... is you know, di- oh, making the whole of society function. It becomes a ludicrous passion play, or yeah, a fucking. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what it is, though. Bastardization. It, it comes of out of the whole satire boom of the sixties, but by the time you reach nineteen seventy-four, the garish kind of has divorced itself yeah. away from that completely. The partner has kind of started. And you to end pale. up. It's yellowing this, at the edges. It's yeah. not quite. The you same. end up yeah. in this Benny Hill does Ionesco routine, and it's it's just. And there's a point appalling. where the word black is used about 30 times in the, in the same kind of uh, couple of exchanges. It's astonishing. Black black becomes this kind of uh, replacement for all things aberrant. Uh, yeah, it's, it's used... In a really appallingly clunky and, and offensive way. It's used as a swear word throughout. And I point out to John, there's not one black person. And John went, well, that's the point. And uh, I guess... <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it like that. Well, that's, well, that's the exactly, point, that's exactly Joe. Like, that's exactly the, the timbre that John used. I don't, think that, I don't think that's the case. But John's right. It is the point, in, in a way. But that doesn't justify it. The point is, yeah, don't you see? There is no... It is all white fear and so on and so forth. And it tries to drag in these clumsy ideas of class... And, and and sex and, and and gender, but it fails on all levels. It's like a really, it's, it's like all the worst plays that I saw when I was uh, studying drama boiled into one. Hmm. And I've seen a lot of people, young uh, drama graduates, who would uh, probably think that was great theatre or profound theatre or daring theatre. Still, we haven't really moved on that far. We we may have changed the language somewhat, but the set, hmm. the 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 kind of stilted kind of uh, interactions. The kind of uh, the kind of concept in general. I don't think things have changed that much. Hey, Johnny Joe. Spit, in many respects, was quite a modernist. <laughs> hey Joe, mm-hmm. let's do an all black version. Now that that would that'll put the cat among the that pigeons. That would put the wow. cat amongst the meow. More that like. would set wow. fire to a few asses. Blimey! Take that theater in your face. Look, actually, if I was producing an all black production of yeah. that program that would be the worst thing that could ever happen directed by John Patrick yeah, Higgins a white man directing <laughs> this alright lads but uh, a yeah. black comedy by John Patrick Higgins oh that's awful um, yeah so that's ever. the end of that so never watch this it's just awful uh, and bear in mind there's two iterations you can get them on one DVD and I, and I think it's important they are companion pieces because they do 
they tell two different sides of this of a, of a similar story, don't they? It's well, I mean, it's interesting. It's either side of the of the sixties. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting from a technical level as well because you get to see two different productions and they are quite different. Um, students of drama, take note. Yeah, students of drama, if you're listening to this podcast for some reason, I don't know why you would be, but uh, welcome, in, students of drama. It also they take they take place in two different periods of time. And there are two different cultures informing them. Yeah. And only and, one of them is Bob Hoskins looking like Phil manifest. Collins. Yeah, Bob Hoskins is in it. <laughs> looking like Phil Collins? As a bell ringer and chorus. And at one point he takes his jacket off, at which John uh, chimes, no jacket required. My finest hour. It possibly might be. Mm, might be. Um, should we draw this sorry business to an end? Should yeah? we throw a veil over, over the old school? I think And look so. forward to, to the new. Is there a new school? Is there a new school? Are things today... Uh, are we allowed to look back at things uh, with veneration without nostalgia? Are, was there things of worth in the past, John? I think there was things of endless worth in the past. I'm, I'm very much uh, interested in the past. But I worry that the baby boomers sucked up all of the culture uh, and left us with nothing. And we, in turn, have left the current generation, Generation Z, I guess, or whatever they call it. Generation mm. Yeah. Yeah. With less... They, I mean, it's really thin pickings for them. Isn't it, but isn't it the same with every generation that comes through? Well, no, Those because I think we were meant to have another culture, and we didn't do it. We dropped the ball. Yeah, we didn't do much apart from complain. You know, are we, I, I went are, are we taking on, on the mantle of responsibility for an entire we, generation? We should have done. Time? Yeah, we should have done. We should have done different things. So forty something should have, should apologise to the younger generation. Sorry, We're sorry, kids. sorry. We didn't listen to your dizzy rascal yeah. more carefully. No, your granddad's still own all the houses. Uh, yeah. We we didn't even get those. Oh yeah. By the way, yeah, we we were bypassed. Yeah. In the kind of yeah. But what we've got for you now is is Brexit and sorry about that as well. And global warming. And oh, possible that, that was frank, that was thanks thorough. to granddad as well. Cheers. Yeah. Well, granddad set the scene, but we kind of exacerbated it a wee bit. fucking case. through our apathy and our irony. Apathy and irony are two terrible things, and that's the thing about old school. Old school in the wrong hands can be ironic and dangerous, but there's lots to be said for things that happened before our time. Am I right, John? Yeah. Am I right, John? So I was just looking at Michael Caine quotes. Um, what better way to end this podcast than a Michael Caine quote? A gentleman <laughs> of the old school who's only on several very rare occasions been proven to be slightly dodgy in his politics. I, I looked into this because I thought he might be the Jeremy Clarkson of this scenario. The Vanguard? Uh, yeah, but uh, he actually he's pretty clean. He's pretty all right. He's a witty guy. He's he's together. Yeah, his attitude to Brexit kind of betrays. Well, yeah, little... and this attitude to sharing a bathroom with his wife. I will do the voice. The lovely Shakira Kane. Are you going to do the voice in yeah. the style of Alan Benedigan? No, no, no. This is I've just do Michael Kane because it's Michael Kane. He switches on a sixpence. Tell me about it. Go. You cannot have one bathroom, and it don't matter how much you love your wife and everything. Cause you wind up. <laughs> Don't laugh while I'm doing it. Sorry, go go again. It was just The pause was. You got to oh. do the pause. Easy pauses. Yeah, that was a pregnant pause. Go go. Sorry. Right, back to the shit trip. Okay. You cannot have one bathroom, and it don't matter how much you love your wife, and everything, cause you wind up with no room at all. You just get a little corner and you've got a toothbrush and your paste and a shaving brush and a razor. Sir Michael Caine. Is he a sir? I think he must be. I have a feeling that that would be people's favourite part of this podcast. What, me doing a shit impression of Michael Caine? Every time. Have they learned nothing? They've learned nothing. Guys, have we taught you nothing over the past hour? (laughs) (laughs) I'll do another one then. I've just got one more quote. Oh dear, I created a monster. Go on. I am in so many movies. This is Morris here, Michael Caine. No, this is this is definitely Michael Caine. Go, go. Definitely not Brad Pitt. That's yeah. for sure. Buke, Buke. We should probably talk about that very briefly. Yes. I am in so many movies that are on TV at two a.m. that people think that I am dead. Yeah. That... Right. The reason we didn't watch the end of that shit racist film we were yeah. watching is because. Joe and I wanted to watch Brian Ferry in a 1980s soap opera. Yeah, one of his only in France. His, his only acting uh, roles. Yeah, playing himself, and even that proved, I think, to be a bit of a stretch. 
Although he was quite good as himself, wasn't he? Well, no, he wasn't was he really. Being no, generous. He was very good at being tall. He was yeah. very tall, yeah. noticeably. I'm looking perplexed. Very, yeah, going around shouting, buke, buke. Yeah. Um, and sucking his jaw in a really strange yeah. way. And, and, Gurning. I, I think like it's all lean from, you know, League of Gentlemen. At first I thought it was odd, then I realised it makes perfect sense. Brian Frey wouldn't want to be in a full English language, British uh, soap opera. That's too much exposure. If he can remove himself by a language... You know, so French isn't his first language. So therefore, he has a multitude of excuses for not, you know, performing. Brown Ferry's a man who's always trying to protect himself. He's a wee bit wary. So I think that this was his safe bet. Starring in a French soap opera about a hotel in the early 80s was the only acting role he was ever going to do. The plot is this. He's looking for the old, <laughs> the, the proprietor of the hotel. John's actually uh, picked up the plot. Who's an old flame. <laughs> an old flame whose name is Buke. A very old flame, by the way. Yeah. in her 70s. The hotel is called L'Hotel Buke. Um, and, but she meets Buke's daughter and uh, Ooh, Buke, la, la. Buke's daughter explains to her that Buke was making some crepes and her oven exploded and killed her. This is actually true. This is actually true. So then Brian seduces the daughter in front of a photograph of the original Buke. Buke's actually looking down while he's saying, Buke had a way of making you see yourself as you really are. Well, Buke's daughter, who's played by a woman who married Roger Vadim, the director. No, much later on. In his later years, yeah. yes, yes. Um, is seduced by this and, and a manicure kit that he finds <laughs> which he goes straight to he goes straight to the manicure he kit he knows where the manicure kit is so uh, a few lines about uh, the young woman's mother and a manicure kit and she says and then they go into Paris and buy newspapers from when, um, from the day they were born yeah and tragically Joe knew his birthday 26th, 26th of September 1945 <laughs> I think we're going to have to leave it there I think that's a perfect way to end this. Yeah, absolutely. Brown Ferry in an early 80s French soap opera. The most tragic thing I've ever seen. That, my friends, is old school. I bid you adieu. <laughs>